Hi, I'm Paul Cuddehy and welcome to the Duran Duran Albums Podcast. And I'm Molly Williams. Join us as we take you on a musical journey of 40 years, 14 albums, countless great songs, and lots of great Duran Duran memories. From the band's self-titled debut album in 1981, through to the Paper Gods release in 2015, and, fingers crossed, a new album in 2021, the Duran Duran Albums podcast celebrates each of the studio albums while telling the story of the band. We chat through each album track by track, pick some of our favourite songs and memories from when the album was first released, and ask podcast listeners to give us their thoughts on each record. And we'll also have interviews with other Duran Duran fans throughout the course of this series, as well as extra episodes on everything from non-album songs, favourite gigs and the band's various side projects. So while you might want to save a prayer till the morning after, listen to the podcast now. Subscribe, spread the word, and celebrate 40 years of great music on the Duran Duran Albums Podcast. Well, Molly, we've had the trailer for the Duran Duran Albums podcast, but this is where it really starts. Episode one, I've kind of thought it's best as an introduction for you and I. We kind of introduced ourselves in the trailer, but just so that people get a a better sense of who we are and why we are Duran Duran fans, and I suppose why we're doing this albums podcast. And, you know, in, in the trailer, we spoke about the fact that we, and I think people will hear it from the accents that we are from different parts of the world, but you were, you were telling of uh, growing up in Tupelo, Mississippi, and I suppose I can remember when I first heard Duran Duran. What what about you? When when would that have been? Well, gosh, yeah, it's like you said. You know, I was I was in Tupelo, Mississippi, and I wasn't a native of Tupelo. I had actually moved there when I was, I think, about eleven years old. It's a very small town, and everybody knew everybody's business. So my family and I, we were kind of outsiders. So. Uh, yeah, I, I think I spent a lot of time on my own. And a lot of time on my own was spent listening to the radio. And there was this really cool, it was at the time that the MTV was just coming about into America. But Tupelo being the backwater that it was, we didn't have MTV yet. So my only outlet for, for music and for videos was this TV station that had over the course of a weekend, like in the middle of the night, this uh, series called Night Tracks. And they used to play all of the, the English music and a bit of Prince, you know, kind of things that weren't quite top 40. And it was at that point that I heard uh, and I saw the video for it. Is there something I should know? And that was me sold. Just, uh, you know, just visually. I was a teenage girl. You know, I was 11, 12 years old. And these guys were hot. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I'm, I'm afraid it was very, very basic. But, but yeah, I thought they were really nice looking guys. And they, they could sing a catchy tune. Because it's funny, I mean, you'll probably not be surprised when I when I first heard them and when we started planning this podcast and I actually found out the exact date that I bought my first Duran Duran record, which was the Planet Earth single. And it was on Friday, March the 6th, 1981. And the reason I know that is they had played on Top of the Pops, which was the music program that was on every Thursday night in Scotland. And they were on it for the first time. And I, I saw that and I've no idea why just something about that song, it just clicked for me. I think it was just at that point when I was starting to get my own taste in music. And 
the song came on and it was just I thought that's that's incredible. And so there was a, a local record shop in a staying up a town called Bishop Briggs, which is just outside uh, Glasgow. And there was a record shop called Tom Russell's and it was on the route to and from school. And so on the way home from school, I went in and I bought Planet Earth a single. And from that point on, and it was the music for me. It wasn't the fact that I was thinking those are five hot guys, but it was the, <laughs> it was the tune. No. And I, I spent about probably the next two or three years always in that record shop. And I used to deliver an evening newspaper in the town and all the, the paper money I earned from that. I basically just spent it on vinyl records in that shop predominantly and it's no longer there but I, I have a real strong affection for it but just the fact that I can actually date it was probably about quarter past half past four because we finished school at five to four and it took me about 15 minutes to walk to the center of the town so that's how accurate I can be. That is pinpoint accuracy I'm well impressed by that one well I definitely cannot pinpoint my my exact date or anything like that it probably would have been about 11 o'clock, 12 o'clock at night, because that's when night tracks went out. But yeah, it, it was just because videos were just really starting off and it just captured my imagination and, and, you know, just the visuals of it all. You know, is there something I should know that I think at least the version that I had seen, you know, it had all the various, it had a little bit of black and white, it had funky graphics with the band and and all kinds of weird imagery and and it just it really captured my imagination and I think you know there was the one record store in in Tupelo Mississippi at the mall and uh, you know I would have gone out to the record store to to find the album and I think actually because I was a little bit late to the party I think I had it was the re-release of the first album that I got and it actually had the different cover the the different photograph on the album cover than the original release. And yeah, I have to go back to it again. They all just looked very, very <laughs> handsome. But but that was the thing. I mean, it's like each one of them had such a different look that, uh, you know, I think that there were a little bit of something for everybody, even though that wasn't your thing. Well, you know, it's, it. funny. it's funny. I think that's why a lot of uh, boys my age wouldn't have necessarily wanted to admit being a Duran Duran fan because they were very much, they had a, a large female following. And so that kind of initially probably distracted. And then it's why a lot of people who are my age now would still, when I say I'm a Duran Duran fan, they've still got that thing from about 40 years ago of, you know, that's, that's a girl's band. I mean, the, when you were saying about the song being on, uh, is there something I should know being on that album, which I'm slightly envious of because it was never released on an album over in Scotland. So it came out as a, a single between, I think between the Rio album and Seven and the Ragged Tiger and was the first number one in the UK, but it was never on an album. And when I heard that song, it was kind of like you thought, well, the next batch of songs they're going to be producing is going to, going to be amazing if that's the caliber. Yeah, and, and because um, I think what had happened was over in America, that song kind of, you know, got them into America. And then I can't remember the timings, I'll have to look it up kind of thing, but Rio was coming out. So it's like, you know, is there something I should know was the first video that I saw, but almost immediately following that, I saw Rio hungry like the wolf. So it was, it was a weird mishmash and, and changing of timelines. I think it was just because it was coming from this, uh, this night tracks TV series that they didn't know any better. So they just kind of checked out whatever was, was kind of available. So my timeline is probably a little bit wonky and, and doesn't follow, you know, the actual releases of things, but um yeah, it, it just, you know, it was just at the right time in my teenage years. And just to go back to your point about 
it being quite a, a girly type band. I was obviously very well known in my middle school for being a Duran Duran fan because we would have the uh, the school annuals with all of our school pictures. And at the end of the year, you know, all your friends would would sign your annual. And I swear to God, almost every single one of the signatures that I have in my annual for that year um, in 1983 was, you're a really nice girl, but Duran Duran sucks. <laughs> From all the boys, you know, all the girls were like, oh, you're crazy to love Duran Duran. But nope, all the boys were almost as a rule, Duran Duran are rotten. Do you know the thing that I always think is funny, what fascinates me about music in general is that, you know, sometimes you hear songs and there's certain songs I've got that that are are real favourites of mine and I can remember a lot of them from when I was a teenager. I remember them in the moment I heard them as if it was yesterday and I don't know why, you know, certain songs, whether it's just that time in your life or whatever. But even now, if you hear a song for the first time, some songs just absolutely blow you away and and it's, I don't know, it's it's obviously something bands knew the secret of that, then they would be eternally successful. Absolutely. I mean, it, it just, you know, Starting off this conversation with you, it really has brought back so many memories, you know, because that's, well, you know, 40 years ago kind of thing. And it's just crazy how even just hearing the first few bars of some of those songs and you're, and you're just like right back there. And uh, didn't ever think that I would be, be back in Tupelo, Mississippi, but by God, it's taken me there. <laughs> Well, I have to say, I know you're, you're some way from your hometown. I still actually stay in my hometown. I When I end up getting married and I've brought my family up in the same town. So there's parts of when I, as I say, the rec- record shop isn't there. But that route uh, through the centre of the town and up to the school, that's still there. And I'll still, I'll still go out walking. And sometimes it does take me back to being a teenager again. And especially as, you, as you're saying, now that we've been planning this, a lot of times I'm out and move my walk. I'm actually listening to Duran Duran and it really is kind of like in a, you're in a time machine. And, and for me, you know, Duran Duran has a lot to answer for in my life, you know, and, and sitting back and, and thinking about it and listening to the music again and analyzing things. I realize, I mean, I'm in, I'm sitting here in Manchester in England now, which is a bazillion miles away from Tupelo, Mississippi. And I have kind of had a, a rather long way round route to get here, but ultimately I blame Duran Duran because, you know, it was a case of, I just loved the accents. I didn't have a clue that there was a particular, it was a Brummy accent or any particular, it was just an English accent to me. But I remember saying to my dad at one point, you know, I was like, oh dad, I just love Duran Duran's accents. And, and, you know, he just looked at me and he's like, Molly, if you ever go over there, you know that they'll probably love your accent as much as you love theirs. And I have to say, some of my jobs that I've had since I've been over here in the UK have been telephone based. And the number of comments that I get about my accent, you know, it, it, it is very much a, a talking point. So, yeah, it's, it's Duran Duran's fault that I'm here. But I'm so glad that they, they brought me over here. Well, as long as you're not, as long as you're not really blaming them. Because I was going to ask you as well, because obviously we're thinking about the first songs that we heard and the first records that we bought. In terms of the first time that you saw them live, and I have to... I'm not really a big believer in in regrets of looking back because obviously you can't change anything, so you always kind of look forward. But if there's one thing I could do, if I could go back in time and change, it was, I think, Duran Duran in late 1982. They were playing, must have been the Rio tour, so they were going to play in Glasgow, and it was the week after ABC were playing in the same venue. I could only afford to go to one of the gigs and so because all my pals would be going to ABC Alan Duran Duran I ended up I bought tickets to that so I never saw them 
at the height of that real kind of frenzy. And to this day, and every other time they've came to Glasgow, I've, I've always gone and seen them. And I still, I wish that I had gone and, and seen them back in the day. You know, it's funny because um, because I did live in, in a place that nobody, no bands ever came to. And um, the closest place to Tupelo is Memphis, Tennessee. And even that's still an hour's drive away. And as far as I can remember, the whole time that I was living there, Duran Duran did not come within a thousand miles of Memphis. So I never actually saw Duran Duran until their reunion tour for Astronaut. I was very much a latecomer to the Duran Duran gigs, but my goodness, did I make up for it then? Because uh, for the Astronaut tour, I, I was one of those people who forked out the big, big, big money to do the, the VIP tickets that got you kind of to the side of the stage and potentially get to meet the band. So fangirl time. I have actually met the band a few times now, and I am so glad that I did it when I was a mature adult female rather than a screaming teenage girl, because I just would have like sat there and cried and screamed at them if I had ever been to a Duran Duran gig when I was a teenager. So yeah, it was probably for their benefit as well. Probably a good thing that I that I only ever saw them live when I was an adult. <laughs> Do you know, I'm, I'm slightly envious because I've never met the band, but there is part of me, you know, that way, I don't know if it's quite never want to meet your heroes. I'm not quite sure I've met enough people letting up my, my work in terms of football who, who were heroes who turned out to be great. But I, there would be slight part of me that's be a bit apprehensive about meeting them. I wouldn't, I wouldn't know. You know, that way you kind of, as, as you're older, you don't want to come across as an absolute fanatical fan. But at the same time, I don't want to be too nonchalant and think, what's he doing here? He thinks he's too cool to meet us. Well, obviously, you know, you, you know about my obsession with Roger Taylor. And uh, I was so impressed with myself because I, I've even got a picture. Um, I think somebody, they had like an official photographer who was wandering around in, in these VIP meet and greets. And there's a picture of me and Roger having what was obviously a very serious conversation because I've got this real look on my face, but at least I wasn't like pawing at his clothes and, and you know, declaring and my undying love. <laughs> the, the, the photographer never caught that moment. Luckily, uh, yeah, that, that was, uh, it was withheld in court. <laughs> never to be seen or used again. Because that's funny, that's the second time that you've uh, you've made you've made a reference to, I think the last time it was a restraining order. I'm going to have to double check this just in case <laughs> that there is some substance behind this. No, there isn't really, I promise. I'm a good girl. Law-abiding citizen. Because one of the things I, I, we were going to try and do over the course of the, the podcast series, we've got a Twitter feed at Albums Duran, if you want to follow us. A lot of people have started doing that anyway, but we'll, we'll post various pictures, either of the band or obviously when you were lucky enough to meet the band, I've got a stage picture in my back garden where I'm, I'm studying the first album, which was in relation to, I'd written a book of Duran Duran short stories. And so it was like a photo for the newspaper. So I'll, I'll put that up at some point as well. I've still got the, it's the my original album from 40 years ago. And do you have pictures of yourself 40 years ago as well? So, you know, we can do like a before and after. Well, do you know what? I, I do have a couple of pictures, but funny, the, the one that I've, I've got, I've never gone down to my mum and dad's to kind of trawl through their photographs. I'm sure they've got loads, but I'm actually wearing a Joy Division t-shirt, so... Oh, the shame. So. <laughs> but you know, it's one of those... I've discussed this with friends over the years, still friends with Palamine since we were about 13 or 14, and I think in terms of music, uh, and especially when you look back at when you were a teenager, now, from the 80s, I Duran Duran is, is the band for me, but I love The Smiths, for example, and a lot of people who, at the time who would have liked the Smiths would have been horrified at the thought of liking 
Duran Duran as well. But that's what I love about music. You can like a whole range and, and variety of music. And especially as you get older, you should never pigeonhole yourself into one band or one type of music. Yeah, I mean, it's like, um, it seems to be a particularly British thing, I think, as well. Because in the course of my uh, fandom with Duran Duran, I somehow acquired all of the smash hits magazines, you know, during the course of, uh, you know, over the 80s with Duran Duran. And it was always about Duran Duran versus Spando Ballet. And, you know, it, it always had to be this juxtaposition of, you know, if you like this band, you couldn't possibly like that band. Whereas over in America, I mean, I think I was just kind of considered a freak anyways, because I liked a weird English band that nobody had really ever heard of. So it didn't really matter. And, and it was never you didn't get pigeonholed like that if just because you liked a particular band that you weren't allowed to to like the other bands, which seems to be kind of a an interesting British thing, I think. Do you know, some of it, I think, was a, a knock-on from... So the, the obviously back, even from the 60s, you had the mods and the rockers. And then in the 70s, they, they were still going. And then you had punks. And I think particularly in England, there was like, it was almost tribal. And it was a sense of identity, but also there was a there was a real culture clash, but also physical. There was violence, and so then I think people once they were labelled or once they joined a particular tribe, that was them. They were kind of pigeonholed. Because I, I, what I find it's quite funny. I often listen to eighties radio stations, and quite often, you know, that way a song will come on, and I'll think, you know, I actually quite like. But I remember back in the day not liking it, and I, I can't remember the reason why. There was just one of those things that you had to like certain music. And then you were supposed to dislike other music. And I think, now I think that's nonsense. Although I have to be honest that, you know, whenever Queen came on, I think, do you know what? I didn't like them back in the day and they're still rubbish now. <gasps> oh, Paul, we can't, we can't be friends anymore. I'm sorry. <laughs> Queen, are, Queen are fundamental as well. But for me, my well, anti- Can I just say, I'm not going to do a Queen podcast with you then. <laughs> my, my anti-hero band was Depeche Mode or as I like to call them, depute commode. Um, I just, I, I could not get them at all. And I, and, and I don't, maybe I did kind of feel like I was kind of cheating on Duran Duran if I were to like Depeche Mode. But, um, you know, later on in life, I really, really do like both of them. And I don't know because I only lived in, in Tupelo for, I think we lived there for about three years, four years tops, and we moved to Los Angeles and anything goes in LA really. And I actually then I was 16, 17 years old. And that was when I was going to the likes of the Roxy and that sort of thing. And and I was really getting into the local music scene. But thinking about it now, it all again traces back to Duran Duran, because the types of bands that I was going to see were four or five pieces, boys who were cute, but it was all kind of the electronic, still the, the electronic theme running through all of them. So yeah, I got to be a, an LA music street kid for a while as well. <laughs> With a bit of street cred. Uh, well, that's debatable, but <laughs> I was there. Because funny, one of my other, which I, again, when we come to talk about it in the episode about Seven and the Ragged Tiger, one of my memories was when that album came out and that summer we went on holiday, there was about four or five of us, we went just down to England to a place called Scarborough. We were just there for a week and I had taped the album so I had the vinyl but I put it on a cassette tape and then we had a big cassette recorder which we took so we basically walked from the flat we were staying in we would go down to the beach and we just that was the soundtrack to that holiday had those really big boom boxes you know with the giant speakers that you carry on your shoulder that is is exactly what I did but that was 
that seemed to be, I'm sure we've listened to other things. That's the only one that I can remember seemed to be on all the time. So that, again, that kind of evokes really happy memories of, because it was one of the first holidays we'd gone away without our parents. And obviously it was a bit shambolic in terms of uh, allowing five teenage boys away uh, with alcohol, etc. But it was good at the time. We lived to tell the tale, which was the main thing, I think. Grew to be from boys to men, indeed. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, for, for Seven and the Ragged Tiger, um, I was still in Mississippi at the time. And I just remember, I think that was when my fandom kind of moved in a little bit to fanaticism because I went to the local record store and I bas- I think I must have like somehow used my teenage screechiness, perhaps. And I convinced them to import the Smash Hits magazines All of the albums, they would always give me the promotional material, you know, like they used to do like the album covers and and the the big cutouts and that sort of thing. All the badges, every item of clothing that I had would have Duran Duran badges all over me. So, you know, it it was, yes, I was was considered an outsider, but I think I really did my damnedest to make sure that I was definitely known throughout the town as, as being that weird girl who likes the English band. I made sure I stood out even more than I probably should have done. But yes, that record store was great. Because I was going to recommend a book to you that I've just read. And it's a book by a woman called Elisa Lorello. And it's called Friends of Mine. I'm just going to, obviously this is an audio podcast. I'm going to hold it up to you. It's Friends of Mine, 30 Years in the Life of a Duran Duran Fan. And it's a kind of memoir of her growing up in the States. And uh, in terms of her own family story, but then how Duran Duran had played a part and what happens into to her life up until I think she, she brought it out in 2013 I just finished reading that because obviously it was the title caught my eye right away but it's it's a brilliant book for I think for anybody who's a, a Duran Duran fan well you know just to, to plug some books here I just finished your your short story book as easy as a nuclear war that was fabulous um you know and, and I just just taking each of the song titles uh like you did and and, and turning them into stories I feel like I know you even that just that little bit more <laughs> through all those short stories. Can I tell you something about that book? See the see the image on the cover. With uh-huh. the, that's me with uh, my my godson. So we oh. we are standing just under a tree, and uh, I've got a copy of the Rio album under my arm, and we're just staring. Okay. It's almost we I mean, were trying to get that atmosphere of like the kind of desolation of a nuclear war, and that that's the picture. So that, I'm I'm actually on the cover of that. Can I have your autograph, Paul? Absolutely, yeah. Unfortunately, we can't do it virtually. So, <laughs> at the introduction to this, we it's kind of it is in, in a way it's self-explanatory. It's a Duran Duran albums podcast, so it does what it says in the tin. We're going to go through each of the the fourteen studio albums, and then hopefully the the culmination will be album number fifteen at, at some point will get released this year. I suppose the idea when we were kind of thinking what to do is. Just to each episode, we'll just pick an album. So, for example, next week it will be the very first album, chatting it through it track by track and, you know, maybe some facts about the album. And hopefully if people can comment, you know, whether memories of when they bought the album, their favourite track and that sort of thing, and just kind of get a wee conversation going. And I think that idea on Twitter, Tim Burgess from The Charlatans has this thing called Tim's Twitter listening party where he picks an album. So say, for example, he picks the Duran Duran album. And at quarter to eight, he starts playing it and somebody from the band is on comment on Twitter. And then the idea is you, at quarter to eight, you start playing along in your house. So you listen to the tracks, but then listen, you know, hearing what people are saying. 
And to the extent, it'd be quite nice if people could do that, even if after listening to us, they go away and they'll, they'll go and revisit the first album or whatever album we've been talking about. Yeah, I mean, uh, the, the podcast will be going out on Spotify, on iTunes. Subscribe to the podcast and, you know, hopefully that will encourage you all to, to listen along, like Paul says, to the albums. And please do comment. You know, this is just just two people talking about the memories that have been have come up for us, you know, f- from our lifetimes with Duran Duran. But, you know, there are millions of people, millions of Duran Duran fans out there join in on the conversation because I, I love to hear the sorts of people's stories and, and, and the impacts that the band have had on all of you guys. So, yeah, please do join in in the chat. It would be nice if those millions of fans all listen to this podcast. Sign up, subscribe, be one of the cool kids again. And one of the other things that we kind of thought would be quite nice to do is, in a kind of sort of short and brief way, is tell the story of the band. So each episode, we'll just have a wee short bit. But rather than you or I doing this, uh, what I've done is I've recruited one of my daughters, Rebecca, and she has kindly agreed. And we were talking about this before we started recording, and you just wanted to make sure that I hadn't coerced her. But she is she is doing this of her own free will. Yes, I wouldn't, wouldn't ever want anybody to think that, you know, we held anybody to ransom to to join in on this podcast. But but yeah, that'll be great to, to hear a little well, history of what's going on with the band. Well, here is the, the first part. This is the, the story of Duran Duran, part one, read by my daughter, Rebecca. The Story of Duran Duran, Part 1 Duran Duran are a band who are still going strong in 2021, some 40 years after the release of their first album, and studio album number 15 is set for release later this year. And while the Duran Duran Albums podcast will be celebrating all of the albums, we also want to tell the story of a band who have stood the test of time through the great songs they have written over the years. So where did it all begin? The band were formed in the late 1970s in Birmingham by school friends Nick Rhodes and John Taylor and went through a number of personnel changes before the famous five who broke through in 1981 became the settled lineup. With John on bass guitar and Nick on synthesizers, Roger Taylor was recruited as the drummer in 1979 and a year later Andy Taylor joined as guitarist with Simon Le Bon completing the lineup as vocalist. There were three Taylors in the band but none of them were related. The band's name, Duran Duran, came from a character in the 1960s cult sci-fi film called Barbarella, which starred Jane Fonda. Getting together in the Rum Runner Club in Birmingham, with the club's owners, Paul and Michael Barrow, becoming their managers, Duran Duran started writing, rehearsing and aiming to take the music world by storm. Their first show together as the five-piece was at the Rum Runner on July 16, 1980, when tracks included Girls on Film, Sound of Thunder, Nightboat and Late Bar. They soon began to attract a lot of positive attention and were linked to the new romantic movement which was beginning to emerge in music. Duran Duran signed a record deal with EMI in late 1980 and went into the studio to begin recording their first album, ending the year by filming a video for their first single, Planet Earth.
trying to tell the story of the band, Molly, is I, I wanted to just, I think it'd be good just to do it in abbreviated form because when you're trying to pack 40 years in, I mean, it's the very least it's a book, but for the, the purposes of the podcast, we just want to do that wee kind of summary just to give people a flavour of how they, yeah. they build. And then if people just follow it week by week or episode by episode, they'll get a sense of, of how the band develop and grow. Yeah, definitely. I'll need to pull out John Taylor's biography that came out a few years ago. That was a really good read. Enjoyed that. And then, you know, watching the um, Rogers Desert Island Discs kind of post-band, what he was doing, you know, he was quite a well-known DJ, wasn't he? Apparently, and he it sounds like he, he had a regular slot at the Met down in London, I guess. So yeah, you know, that there's all kinds of history. I mean, they're just, they're human beings as well. So that'll yeah, be quite interesting to do that sort of thing. Because I think as well as the as the episodes in each of the albums, we were going to do extra episodes. So we kind of spoke about this before, about the, the spin-offs. So for example, like of Pearl Station and Arcadia, we were going to do an extra episode on non-album songs. You know, certainly in the UK, is there something I should know? Things like A View to a Kill, one on the live albums or live gigs. And then also... There's one on the opening tracks of each of the albums as well, because I'm hoping to that we can get interviews with various Duran fans from the, the Duran world. And I've already interviewed one guy who a lot of people on social media will know as Durandi. He's a guy called Andy Golub, who's got, I think, an unrivaled archive of Duran Duran memorabilia. And I mean, it's, a, it's an absolutely fascinating interview. But during the interview, I actually said to him, Anytime I listen to a new album, it's the first song, just that anticipation. It's always quite a mixture of excitement and nervousness because you're not quite sure what you're going to hear. But it's always the first track that I really love because then it gives you a sense of, it's going to be okay. I like the first track. We're we're fine. You know, I'm almost the complete opposite to you, um, Paul, because I know some artists are very particular that they want an album to be listened to in a particular order because they might be telling a story throughout the album. But I think that's a load of pish. I, I basically, <laughs> I, I stick it on shuffle. And then maybe it's because I have the attention span of a gnat. But I quite like the way that iTunes does it because they'll, they'll allow you to play like maybe the first 15 to 20 seconds of a song. Or, you know, they'll, they'll select a very small section of the song. And I'm quite happy to trawl through that. And it will be within that first 15, 20 seconds. I'll be like, yeah, like that. Nope, don't like that one. And I'll do that for an album. So, yeah, I, I make these really split decisions <laughs> when it comes you know, to music. Do you know, when people when people will ask me subsequently, what was my favourite moment of this episode? I think it's the moment you said, that's a lot of push. <laughs> yeah, that's one of the weird things. You know, I, I've been here in the UK for 30 years and there's some things that I've picked up. The words, I'll never get the accent. So it probably sounds really <laughs> weird coming out of my my face but uh yeah there you go i think that's such a great word though pish <laughs> so descriptive because the reason i i like the first track is because i like to certainly the first time i listen to an album i like to listen to it the way i would in the old days with vinyl where you had to put on i mean you could obviously lift the, lift the needle and drop it to each of the, the tracks but you generally would lift, listen to side one flip it over listen to side two so even now if it's if it's on you know, it's a streaming service. I still listen to track, say, 1 to 10 or 1 to 12 before I would do anything like shuffling. So I always, it's always the first track. And certainly with the Duran Duran albums, it's always, so for example, the last album, Paper Gods, I remember feeling quite kind of excited just at the thought, what is it I'm about to hear here? 
again, I go back to it's the videos. You know, I've been I've been listening to a lot of Duran Duran on YouTube, and it is so randomly applied within YouTube. So I just really am going, okay, I'll click on this one and I'll have a listen. And you know, if I'm liking it, I'll actually listen to the whole song or the watch the whole video. But then it'll just randomly come up with with something else that there's doesn't seem to be any rhyme or reason to it. So yeah, I guess I, I have very much a, a scattered approach to, to my music listening. But as well, I think, you know, again, going back to, I think that the releases have been different for Duran Duran between what they released in America and what they released over here. So I think it'll be interesting over the course of these podcasts, just talking about those differences, because I know on the first album, there were a couple of songs that were released that I don't think ever made it to the U.S. album. So, you know, whilst you've mentioned, is there something I should know wasn't released on an album over here? I think, was it To the Shore wasn't on the American release? So, yeah, it, it, it's interesting how they how they play the different markets. Um, well, it's certainly uh, one of the many things we're going to be, be talking about in, in the course of the podcast. You've just heard a wee bit of music there, and that's a signal that is what we're going to do also in each episode is whoever the guest is uh, at various times when we've interviewed people, the last question that we're going to ask them is to pick their top three Duran Duran songs. Now, we thought for the very first episode that you and I would have a go at this, and I think, (laughs) which is what's going to happen with other people, it's an almost impossible task because I I know, talking for myself, there was two songs that jumped out for me, but I'm still, even as I speak, agonizing over what my third song will be. It's how do you pick three songs from their their catalog going back over 40 years? Absolutely. And I'm I'm the same as you. I have my first two absolutely cemented down, totally happy with that. And yeah, it's gonna be whatever comes out of my mouth. That's going to be what's in my head. Although I've got this a song now that keeps just popping into my head, has done for the last couple of days. So I think I'm ready. What I was thinking of doing is if we just do a song at a time and just see what it is and just why we picked it. So okay. do, you want me, do you want me to start? You go first. So the first song, and if I had to choose, if I was forced to choose a favourite song or if I was on Desert Island Discs, then the Duran Duran song I would choose is Save a Prayer, which I absolutely love it's difficult to choose a song from the Rio album because I think all of the songs are just stunning but that song I think if I heard it tomorrow for the first time it would still sound as stunning as it did back in 1982 and every time I hear it it makes me smile it takes me back to that time in my life and it reminds me of everything that I love about Duran Duran and funnily enough that is my number one song as well and you know it's funny uh, I have been obviously talking to my friends about this podcast and their memories of Duran Duran. And I swear everybody says that Save a Prayer is is their favorite song. And that that's the one that they always remember. But for me, it's not only just the fact that it then takes me back to my teenage years, but even when you listen to it today, it still sounds fresh. And, you know, it could have been released a week ago. You know, I think it just has that real timeless quality to it. And, and as well, you know, I do have to say it was Roger Taylor's favorite single as well. So, you know, <laughs> we're obviously showing really good taste there. 
but, it always comes back to Roger, doesn't it? <laughs> totally. But but what he was saying is, you know, for for me, I very much remember the videos for these songs as well. And the video, if you remember, was very much it was the exotic location. Was it Sri Lanka? I think where they filmed a lot of it. So you know, it's about sunshine and beaches and just that real happy feeling. It's just such a lovely beat to it all that it was great back then and it's fabulous even today. And you know, it's funny, it's one of those songs where back in the day when they played it live, we would all have held up our cigarette lighters. Now it's just the torch on our mobile phones. (laughs) Absolutely. So uh, what's your second one then? My second choice is the song Secret October, which is the B-side to the Union of the Snake single. And I think sometimes when you hear B-sides, I think can fall into two categories. One that is just something that you know, almost feels not together just to put a song on the B-side of, of the old seven-inch singles. Or it's a song where you think, why isn't that a single in its own right? Why isn't that on an album? And I absolutely love that song. I figured it a really, really crass and basic way with three chords to play it on an acoustic guitar, which I just sometimes sing in my room just to entertain myself. And they played a, I can't remember what year it was, they'd played a tour where it was basically, I'm not sure if it was around about the time of maybe Medaza Land or Pop Trash, where it was basically, it was almost like a great hits tour rather than songs from the album. And I saw them in Glasgow and they played that and I hadn't realised they were going to play it. And then when it started and I thought it was a song I would never have heard live and I just thought, wow. And I, I, I love that song as well. You know, have we been having a mind meld or something like that? Because that was going to be my song number three, but I'm going to change my mind just so I don't match everything that, that you're saying. So my second song is Come Undone, but it's actually the live version, the acoustic version that I like with the, the female counterpart was sung by a lady by the name of Lamia. I don't even know which album it was supposed to be on originally, but I just love the whole vibe of it. I love the the, the mix of Simon's voice and her voice and Simon just has like a bit of a, a sexy growl going on in that song and anytime I have my my music going in the car and I've got it on shuffle and come undone comes on that puppy gets cranked up to the <laughs> mat that is the one time that I would probably sing along but don't ask me to do karaoke on that one please it ain't gonna happen okay because it's funny I that I think it was on was it the wedding album that that was on and I'm always torn between that and Ordinary World from that album because it was almost like the, there was a, a renaissance that album suddenly it burst back into life but I, I do think Come Undone's an absolutely beautiful song Absolutely, cool Right, Number three, this is the moment where I'm kind of mentally tossing a coin between two tracks so the third song that I've chosen is The Man Who Stole a Leopard which is on the All You Need Is Now album and again I just you know when I was listening to that album and I think that is you know, I think in the last few years they've been the band have been back to the top form. The things that have been produced in the last three or four albums is as good as anything. And I thought this was a brilliant album. But when I heard that song, the way it builds, again, it's fantastic when they when they performed it live. And I just love Simon's voice. I love the way it sort of mixes with the kind of female part in it. And I it's a, a song that absolutely captivates me. So that's the one that has pushed its way into my top three. So seeing as you stole my third song that I was going to use, I've I've just gone through my (laughs) track list and I'm going to go with Friends of Mine. And I think Friends of Mine, it was 
I think in that first album, there were quite, there were a few songs that were really quite moody. And I can't remember if this song was in black and white, the video, but you just get this really almost like a Eastern European black and white, really moody sort of vibe to it all. So yeah, I, I quite like that in my, my introspective navel gazing years as a teenager, friends of mine, you know, kind of really, it, it matched the tone, I think, just kind of a little bit moody. But I think, we, as I said, we've probably discovered how difficult that is to to choose the songs. But if I say if anybody's listening, if they want to send in their top three, or else if they want to, they could I suppose they could send in themselves recording their top three of the, the songs that they've chosen and why. And you can email us Duran Duran at paulcuddyhay.com and I'll put the Twitter feed and the email address just in the show notes. So wherever you are. Uh, listening to the podcast you'll be able to see ways of getting in touch with us because it's just been quite interesting to see as you mentioned you know everybody you spoke to it was it was save a prayer and probably for a lot of people that would certainly be in most people's top three even if it's not their top choice but I, i'm i'll probably wake up tomorrow morning and, and sneakily try and re-record a wee bit and change my track no re-recording allowed paul those are your your three and final answers okay <laughs> <laughs> as well as just giving you the contact details of how you can get in touch with us. And you'd already mentioned, Molly, that we're on Spotify and iTunes. The podcast is hosted on Anchor. You can get it there. It's on Google Podcasts, Breaker, Pocket Casts, and Radio Public, and hopefully before too long on Amazon Music as well. So there's kind of really no excuse for people not to, to find us and to subscribe, leave a review, spread the word, and take part in this journey that we're on. Sing a song for us because I sure as hell ain't singing in a karaoke myself. So it would be great to hear other people's versions of the Duran Duran tunes. That could be that could be very interesting. Um, I suppose finally, this is the the first proper episode. The next episode is when we really get into looking at the albums, and it will be the first album proper that that we start to have a chat about track by track, our favourite songs and perhaps memories from that. And that's you know, as I said, to have. You know, we're going out doing a lot of walking and quite often it's Duran Duran album. So I'll probably be just listening to that over and over for the next week or so. And it's, you know, it's it's a great uh, indulgence to have. Yeah, I mean, what a nice thing to have in your ears for the coming week or so, because it's a, it's a brilliant album. And, you know, no wonder they, you know, started to gain fame from that album, because it is just so well played and really, really clever songs. And it, it spoke of the time. It was, it is definitely an album of the 80s. But again, I still think it's, it's definitely worth a listen to today. And uh, yeah, looking forward to, to revisiting every single one of those songs. And I hope everybody that's listening will, will can join us for that next episode when we listen to the first of Duran Duran's 14 studio albums. And in the next episode, Molly, we are not allowed to change our top three, so we're going to get someone else to choose their top three, and we'll see whether that co- corresponds to, to our tracks. But uh, until then, I suppose it's just a, a week or so of listening to Duran Duran music. What a hardship. Looking forward to it. Thanks, Paul. Thanks for joining us on the Duran Duran Albums podcast, and we hope you enjoyed the show. If you can subscribe to the podcast and rate and review us, that will help other Duranis to find us. And of course, if you can spread the word about the podcast, all the better. You can also let us know what you think of the podcast. Follow us on Twitter at albumsduran or email us at durandoran at paulcudahy.com. Join us next time on the podcast. And in the meantime, 
Keep listening to Duran Duran like some new romantic looking for the TV sound.